0: The interview with Giusto Accapinti that you're about to hear was made possible in large part by Martha Stumann, who helped translate. Giusto Accapinti of Kos on the show today. Hello, sir. How are you?
1: Giusto Accapinti di Kos, come stai?
2: Bene, grazie. Sono contento di essere nella
1: bella
0: e mitica
2: Manhattan.
1: I'm doing well, thank you. I'm very happy to be in the mythical Manhattan today.
0: Great to have you here. So, you grew up in Sicily. Sì,
2: sono cresciuto in Sicilia, ma sono nato nel nord Italia, in Emilia-Romagna.
1: So, yes, I grew up in Sicily. I was born in the north in Emilia-Romagna. And I, at 11 years old, my family transferred back down to Sicily.
0: What was your family like?
1: Come è stato tua famiglia?
2: Ah, noi siamo quattro fratelli. Ho un bel ricordo della mia infanzia, perché in una famiglia numerosa...
1: So we were. I was one of four children, and we really had a very uh, dynamic, fun family because of the number of children um, that were present. And I still have a very good relationship with my or with my brother and sisters.
0: And what was Sicily like at that time?
2: Beh, Devo dire quando si cresce in un posto e si.
1: When you grow up in a place and you're. You're living in that place for a long period of time. You grow with it. So I haven't noticed as much change, perhaps, as if I had, you know.
2: But in
1: many ways, it was an era that was more simple than today. We played in the street. We invented our own games. Uh, now I see my my children, my two my two boys, play, and I... You know, they're more at home. For me, it's a little bit sad. They play more with PlayStation. There's not this. For us, uh, the, the street was our playground.
0: What were you like as a child?
1: Come se sei stato come un ragazzo. L'attagimento.
2: <laughs> ero abbastanza monello. Si, ero un bambino molto attivo, iperattivo, come dire, un po'...
1: I was a pretty happy child, actually. I, um, I was pretty energetic and, and happy at the same time. But I have to say, I did these things that were probably a little bit dangerous when I was little. If I saw my children doing them today, I would, I would definitely stop Sì, ma
2: come ho detto, la strada era un po' la nostra palestra.
1: But as I said, the, the street was more or less like our, our gymnasium. So
0: really nothing's changed. Still pretty,
1: <laughs> like, same lui, guy then. Lui dice, così niente è cambiato that day. <laughs>
2: Sì, per certi versi è proprio così.
1: Yeah, in many ways it's exactly the same.
0: (laughs) What did you desire to be as a kid? What did you want to do as a profession?
1: È un un po' strano perché
2: a rivedere la mia vita nel passato ho l'idea di fare
1: l'architetto perché ho studiato... So looking back on my choice, because I knew I wanted to be an architect. That's what I studied when I was older. I, I knew that I wanted to be an architect at a very young age. And perhaps when I was young, I didn't know where this desire came from. But looking back on my life, I have this very, very strong memory of watching this Gary Cooper film that we discussed uh, yesterday a little bit. And, uh, and it was about an architect.
2: Sì, forse anche un po' nel DNA della mia famiglia perché mio padre è ingegnere e mia madre era anche...
1: And there was perhaps also an influence of my family. Uh, my father was an engineer and my mother, even though she played the piano, uh, often did uh, drawings.
0: But if you'd seen Winchester 47 instead of the Fountainhead, you you could have ended up as a, an outlaw cowboy.
1: Possible. <laughs> <laughs> Se tu hai visto Winchester 47...
2: No, infatti... <laughs> Poco fa, volevo dire, io sono sono di una generazione che sono cresciuti con tutti i film in bianco e nero di Hollywood, e e devo dire, eh, quello che mi ha colpito...
1: With this film in particular, um, I mean, he grew up in an era where they were watching all of these black and white films from Hollywood, and in particular this film, you know, this architect, he liked the way that he he designed things in, with such rigor and without any compromises in fact in the end of the film uh, the character the protagonist ends up ends up bombing uh, this house uh, or building that he designed uh, because it had been changed from his initial vision and uh, changed in a way that seemed more to to be mediocre
0: so we were looking for something that was transcendental, looking for something bigger, looking for something that was more closer to a personal vision of perfection.
1: Così tu stavi cercando qualcosa che rappresenta una visione di... Io,
2: se guardo la mia vita adesso, guardando indietro, e le scelte che ho fatto, penso che rifarei le stesse scelte. Perché l'architettura mi ha dato...
1: Il Looking back on my life, I don't think I would have changed anything or, or made any different decisions. For me, architecture was, was not just about designing something to be constructed, but was, was about taking a thought and, and then giving it form. And, and wine is very much the same way for me. The, I don't just make something, I don't just make a drink. I make, I have a thought that, that then I, I develop into a wine.
0: Went to architecture school in Palermo, and what was that like?
1: Così tu sei frequentato.
2: Ho frequentato dal '77 al che mi sono laureato alla scuola di l'università a Palermo. Era un bel periodo. Era un periodo anche del movimento.
1: When I went to architecture school, uh, which was between '77 and '83, it was a moment in which. Uh, there was a really strong student movement. Uh, there was this this desire to really really filter what the professors were telling us and to to kind of make it our own. It was it was in many years people call it the hot years. It, it was a great moment for students in in Sicily.
2: Noi volevamo veramente cambiare un modo diverso di vivere e di progettare la città.
1: We really wanted to to change the way that people lived and, and change the design of the city by virtue of that.
0: Who else did you meet in school?
1: Of all the people I met in school, one of the most important would be my future partner in winemaking, Tita. His full name is Giambattista Cilia, And... Really, we started the winery, uh, we decided to found this azienda Agricola, and we started this, really, it was, it was for, for fun. It was a game for us. And uh, the first few years, you know, we foot stomped all the grapes, but it was a really, the important thing about entering into this world is that it was a, it was a virgin world. There was, there was really not this idea of, of winemaking in Sicily at the time, of this type of winemaking.
0: Which is kind of surprising because the historical roots of the area with wine are so long.
1: Mm-hmm. E questo è una sorpresa perché le radici della della storia della viticoltura in Sicilia è abbastanza lungo.
0: Sì,
2: la cultura della della viticoltura in Sicilia è millenaria. Si possiamo dire che la viticoltura moderna. Yeah,
1: it's it's true. Viticulture in, in Sicily has been around for thousands of years. I mean, in terms of what we what we think of as modern viticulture that happened in 800 AD. And so, you know, having this long history of viticulture, almost 3000 years, juxtaposed with this idea of winemaking that really didn't exist until the late 70s. So when we entered the wine industry in Sicily in the early 80s, it was really to to speak about wine in in Sicily and in the rest of Italy was really to speak about nothing at all in terms of the modern culture of, of wine.
0: And whose idea was it to start the winery, and how did that happen?
2: Perhaps it
1: was I who had the idea first, but in all honesty, you know, Tita was so excited to join uh, in on this adventure. I mean, we were, like, we were like two babies who didn't know anything, absolutely anything about wine, and so it was, it was a great adventure. Where
2: did you source the grapes
1: from? He said the first grapes came from a small plot of land that Tita's father owned. Uh, It was planted right after the Second World War, and it was in the old alborello system. So for us, that is likened to head training, a slightly different pruning style. But, you know, the old head trained system and we used those grapes at first, and then once we became, you know, more official in the eyes of the bureaucracy, we actually started leasing that vineyard, and we still lease it to this day.
0: What was your approach to making the wine? How did you go about processing those grapes?
1: Come è cominciato a fare questo vino? Che...
2: Mm. Come tutte le cose che inizi, cerchi di… c'era un anziano…
1: So at first we spoke to a friend of Tita's father who really advised us in how to make wine in a way that was very, very traditional. I mean, we foot stomped everything, we pressed everything by hand. It was very, very much a traditional wine that we made that first year. And later on, this actually became something that was useful to us because what started out more or less as, as ignorance and not knowing how to do things and taking advice from uh, Tita's father really became much more of a philosophical choice for us later on. So we want to make a wine based on a method of subtraction. So really one that expresses the land because at the base of everything, that's what a wine is, is an expression of the land.
2: L'espressione
1: della terra,
0: what was the reception to the wine once you made it? Who bought the wine and what was it like trying to sell it?
2: Dopo superata la parte divertente di fare il vino. Poi ci siamo posti
1: anche di vendere. So in terms of selling wine, making wine is the fun part. Uh, you get to the point where you want to it's so much fun you want to do it again and to do it again you have to empty your bote, your your vessels and put things in bottle and you have to make money in order to continue on your business so then comes in the sales aspect we first started selling our wine to the local enoteque where we drank as students in palermo and It was interesting because at the time, really, there was very few wines in bottle in Sicily. There was Corvo, which I I see in this room today. I see a 1974. Um, There was a handful of others. There was Marco di Bartoli, who uh, was making wine in Marsala. But really, there were very, very few of us.
2: Levi, quando io ho cominciato una bottiglia di quel Corvo, costava... Al, in bottega meno di un, un dollaro. Mm-hmm.
1: When I started, really, this bottle of Corvo cost uh, what would be equivalent of less than a dollar.
2: E noi abbiamo cominciato a vendere il vino dall'azienda a un dollaro e mezzo.
1: Mm-hmm. And so when we started selling our wine, uh, we started selling it more like a dollar fifty. What would be equivalent of a dollar fifty?
2: Uh, abbiamo subito iniziato cercando di dare un valore al nostro al nostro lavoro
1: yeah we we started right from the beginning to try to give a a value to you know a, a value to our our product and uh, and to our wine we thought we did a good job
0: so you sold basically to the places where you used to drink as students and to other students
1: sì così tu hai sì cominciato a vendere i vini ai posti in cui tu hai bevuto sì. come studenti yes exactly
2: esatto
0: Marco Di Bartoli became a bit of a mentor for you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, he, that was one part that I missed a little bit about. Marco Di Bartoli, really, sure. um, who was making wine in uh, Marsala, who we just mentioned, he really became a mentor to me and, and to, to us. And he really changed our vision of winemaking.
2: Mi piace ricordare Marco, anche perché è scomparso nel 2011.
1: Marco di Bartoli, who died in 2011, I I really like talking about him. He was like a lion. He, in many ways, was, (laughs) I believe the uh, direct translation is like a a tugboat. He pulled Sicily out from the fog and into the sun and was really important for the whole panorama of Sicilian wines.
0: And he had been a race car driver for Lancia, and he would traveled in different parts of the
1: world. E lui ha fatto le corse per la, in macchina, sì. Sì, per, la, per la lancia, e lui ha viaggiato in tutto il mondo così.
2: Sì, Marco era anche vino, Marco era passione. Marco. Stare con Marco è come stare sopra un'onda, riusciva a tirarti su, farti immergine e poi quando risalivi respiravi un'altra vita.
1: Marco di Bartoli is more than wine he really is passion being with him is like being under a wave and you come over the crest you go down in the trough and then you come back up for air and it's it's really he becomes infectious in his passion and and really
2: Marco ti faceva sognare
1: sì. see, he was a man that was uh, very, very extraordinarily generous and he had an imagination that was incredible. He was very much uh, avant garde, but had centuries. I mean, his family had had uh, centuries of, of history on their shoulders. So it was it's a beautiful mix.
0: And what did he tell you about wine?
1: Cosa lui ha dato del vino?
2: No, è stato proprio Marco amava il rosso, il vino rosso. Ma quindi è tutto ciò che era in qualche modo la tradizione.
1: So Marco, I mean, he did this in his life as a race car driver, but uh, also in wine. He loved red wines, particularly. And he, even though he followed the course of, of history in many ways, he was also always kind of looking to take on a, a, a challenger or, or an opponent in many ways to try to push the envelope. And so for us, uh, that kind of became our mantra as well, that we also wanted to take on on a challenger in, in our path in winemaking.
0: And what did that look like for you? What kind of challenge did you want to bring forward? Something more artisanal, something more handcrafted or what was the idea?
2: No, io penso che da quando faccio vino in questi 35 anni di aver fatto tanti errori, no? tanti errori abbiamo anche pagato. In
1: my 35 years of of winemaking, we've made many mistakes, some that we've ended up paying for. And we, at the base of all of this, though, we knew that we were taking the correct path in our winemaking. And that was very important because for us, wine is really a piece of land. And, and the idea of making wine is to become as close as you can to the pure expression of that, of that land and to search for elegance in what land you have. And, so we never, we never went off that path, despite some of the errors we might have made.
0: So what was the condition of the vineyard of Tita's family? What, what did it look like? What was planted there?
1: E questa prima vigna di, della famiglia di Tita, uh, come sembrava? Che cre- cosa cresciuto lì?
2: Allora, Questa vigna, per nostra fortuna, è una contrada davvero molto vocata. Noi abbiamo mantenuto questa vigna.
1: So this vineyard, it was in an area that, thankfully, fortunately for us, was a beautiful terroir and uh, And in many ways, this, even though we've replanted the vineyard since then, since it was an old old vineyard, in many ways, this vineyard really represents what. The feeling of coast wines are what well, it gives the feeling of what coast wines are to to this day. Even though we we no longer use those original grapes, um, they've been replanted. So, we we went ahead and found other vineyards in the area because we really loved this this terroir so much. Ma lui anche parla di delle 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 piante che sono piantate. Come erano le vigne? Sono un borrello, sì, ma anche un po' tradizionale, no?
2: Sì. Si. Allora, di quello, che, di quello che è la mia esperienza in questi anni, la cosa più importante
1: è il terroirio. So, even though, uh, yeah, it was in Aborello, the system, lì, that for him really the, the terroir is the most important thing, not necessarily yeah. the, the way, the training system or uh, the other factors that are in, involved with the, you know, kind, kind of the minutia of viticulture.
2: L'altro fattore importante è la resa per ettaro. Quanta uva fai fare da una vigna?
1: La resa per... La quantità, la quantità di uva. Oh. The other important thing, the other important factor is the the quantity of grapes that you get from per hectare. So that was...
0: So the soil had limestone in it. It was a limestone-based soil. Mm.
1: La, la... Il,
2: il suolo fa la differenza.
1: Lui ha chiesto che la, la suola era di, calca, di calcare.
2: Sì, noi siamo in un'area, la parte sud-orientale dell'isola. Io so che nell'immaginario tutti pensano all'isola di Sicilia, giustamente.
1: Yes, we are in a limestone region. because of this, our our wines are oftentimes more delicate, particularly speaking to the degree of alcohol. Many people think of Sicily as a region that has very muscular, high-alcohol wines. But in fact, in our region, that's not the case. And uh, speaking a, about Sicily in general, we're like a small continent. We have a diversity in, in geology that is perhaps unique in the world.
0: And what's the weather like where you are? And Is that Ragusa? Is that where you are?
1: E come il tempo dove sei? E sei a Ragusa,
2: <clears throat> sono noi siamo nella parte sud orientale dell'isola un po la stessa latitudine di tunisi per intenderci quindi un, un clima molto secco ventilato siamo a 10 km da una catena montuosa
1: yes we are in the southeastern portion of sicily where coast is located We're about 10 kilometers as the crow flies from the mountain chain called the Monti ble and about 10 kilometers as the crow flies from the the sea we're at about 250, uh, 300 meters elevation above sea level, and uh, we have more or less the same latitude as Tunis in Tunisia. And so, yes, we have a warm climate. It's well ventilated, which is very, very important for the health of the grapes. We don't have a lot of disease in the vineyard because of this climate, and it makes it makes farming, you know, organically, biodynamically easier, and also. In terms of soil profile, uh, this limestone soil that we have is very, very low in organic matter. So we don't, we get a minerality that perhaps other places don't get, and we don't get a, a high degree of, of sugar in our grapes.
0: So there's breezes that come in off the water? Is that what keeps the area dry?
1: Così il vento vento da mare o e questo fa la ventilazione o
2: non solo il vento viene dal mare, infatti su, soprattutto sui nostri bianchi questo questo sentore salino si sente. In più era un'area quindi prima.
1: So yes, we do get winds from the ocean, and in fact, in our whites you'll definitely be able to taste a little bit of salinity. Um, also the fact that we are this uplifted seabed, it's, you know, we have this aspect of of being uh, sea before and then the sea breeze. Um, but this is, this is just a piece, this is our piece of territory. This is, speaking to others, you know, everyone has their own, their own territory. And the thing that I find is most important is that people express that, that it's not, it's not important to try to emulate someone else in another part of the world or a style in, the, in, in another part of the world. It's, it's really missing the point because wine itself is supposed to be an expression of your territory.
0: So you make a number of, of wines, and most of them are based around grape varieties that are indigenous to Sicily, like Frappato, Nero d'Avola, Gracanico, and Enzolia. And, and what are those grape varieties like individually? What's the difference between, say, Frappato and Nero d'Avola?
2: che la Sicilia ha circa varietà di vitigno autoctone.
1: So Sicily has about 80 varieties of indigenous grapes. tra
2: uve rosse e uve bianche
1: between red and white grapes
2: questo perché grazie a questa cultura millenaria dell'uva
1: mm-hmm. and this is thankfully because of the thousands of years of viticulture that we've had in generale la parte sud
2: orientale storicamente è sempre stata avvocata più per le uve rosse e la parte orient- occidentale dell'isola più per le uve bianche.
1: In general, Sicily has always had uh, a history of having red grapes planted more on the eastern side of the island and white grapes more on the western side of the island.
2: Noi siamo dalla parte sud-orientale, quindi sbilanciati culturalmente per produrre più uve rosse, quindi fare vini rossi.
1: So, because we're located in the southeastern portion of the island, we're more predisposed to making red varieties.
2: È chiaro che non mancano le uve bianche o le uve rosse da una parte e dall'altra
1: uh-huh. and of course you know there's always red grapes in a white region and white grapes in a red region so
2: il cerasuolo di Vittoria che il nome viene da ciliegia cerasuolo cerasa ciliegia
1: mm-hmm.
2: è, è un blend di eh, di due uve fondamentali il Nero d'Avola e il Frappato anzi Frappato di Vittoria
1: so cerasuolo di Vittoria which comes from the word cherry cerasuolo is the word for cherry in the dialect it's made from two grapes, Nero d'Avola and Frappato, and the Frappato comes from Victoria
2: proper.
1: So when we first acquired the, the vineyard of Tita's father, just like everywhere else in the area, you know, the, the vineyard was thought of a, of a place of fruit production, not necessarily just a wine grape production. And so there were table grapes, there were white grapes there's a mix there is a definitely frappato nerdavla but it's something that you know you put together into one wine
2: questo non accadeva soltanto in cerasuolo. suolo pensiamo non so quando io ho cominciato a fare vino il chianti aveva 15 varietà di
1: Ude. so just like, for example, in Chianti, initially there were 15 grape varieties that you could put into, into a Chianti. Now I, I don't, he doesn't remember well, but it's perhaps four or so grape varieties. It was the same with Cerasuolo di Vittoria that, you know, the vineyard was a place of fruit production, and if it happened to be made into wine, then happened to be made into wine.
2: Mi, mi si apre un link. E penso che è chiaro. Il Chianti o il cerasuolo di oggi è diverso da quello di 30 anni fa. A, a appunto perché c'era una varietà più complessa di uve.
1: If I'm speaking to what a Cherasco solo might have been like 30 years ago. It definitely would have been different than our modern suolo. It had a more complexity, it had it had more grape varieties in it.
2: E questo per quanto riguarda tutti quei vini che sono un blend, chiaramente non il Barolo che è sempre stato un'uva, piuttosto che il pino nero e così. Però nei territori, dove pensiamo a Bordeaux.
1: a blend also can define a territory it's almost like you you know you think of Bordeaux and how the grape varieties have changed over time but you think of Bordeaux it's it's a blended a blended wine uh, same with Cerro di Victoria and uh, you know that changes over time and there's ampelographic changes as well it's a it's a dynamic thing in our territory.
2: Il, um, noi abbiamo noi utilizziamo Nel nostro vino solo Nero d'Avola e Frappato. Nelle proporzioni 40% Frappato, 60% Nero d'Avola. E lo facciamo così da sempre, senza aver mai cambiato queste proporzioni.
1: So in our Cerro di Victoria, we do 40% Frappato and 60% Nero d'Avola, only those two grapes. And we haven't changed the proportion since we started in 1980.
0: And what do those each bring to the wine?
1: sono i di ognuno che
2: il frappato è un davvero fuori dal
1: So speaking first to the genealogy of frappato when you start looking at kind of the family tree of wine grapes frappato has always been a satellite it's always been off on its own it doesn't have a lot of a lot of links in terms of parentage or or shared DNA with other grapes and 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 it is very unique. It's hard to compare to other grapes. Um speaking about its characters it's it's beautifully aromatic, not not overwhelmingly so, but very likable in its aromatics. It's it's got a beautiful acidity and it doesn't have a, a strong color. It's got an elegance, particularly grown in Victoria, um, where you have these this uh this climate coming from Africa, you get a, a huge diurnal shift and that gives you kind of these elevated aromatics in frappato.
2: Il nero d'avola è un po' più rotondo, meno acido. Diciamo che c'è, se il frappato è più floreale, il nero d'avola è più frutto. Devo descriverlo in maniera generale.
1: If I had to d- describe in a way that was more general, uh, nero d'avola is a little rounder, uh, more structured. If you wanted to say that frappato gives you a, a floral aspect, nero d'avola gives you more fruit. Uh, A little less acidity also than Frappato.
2: Il Nero d'Avola ha anche più struttura. Mm
1: -hmm. Yes, also more structure. Nero d'Avola has a lot more structure than Frappato.
0: But in a way, that sounds like a pretty good marriage. Those two attributes combined. More structured wine and a more aromatic, pretty wine.
2: Sono d'accordo.
1: Yeah, he said he agrees.
0: (laughs) How should I understand what it's capable of? I mean, de Vittoria, not to speak yet of the clay, version that you also make, but just mm-hmm. normally. When should I be thinking about opening that? How long should I think about aging it before I serve it? Is it something I should decant? What is the curve of such a wine? Uh,
2: uh, grazie di questa domanda, Levi, perché è una domanda che sempre. Quanto dura un vino?
1: So he's saying thank you, Levi, for this question. Yeah. I, I get this a lot, actually. And, uh, you know, people people want to know when when a wine leaves the the winery it's it's an investment it's also an emotional investment so so people ask me often how long a wine like this can age
2: allora se io vino da pasto
1: i think of wine a cerasuolo wine as one to accompany a meal and it's something for me that between 2 and 8 years is probably an ideal time for chardonnay because it starts developing these tertiary flavors and aromatics but on the other hand when i talk about a wine that's made i don't want to say naturally because that evokes a whole new conversation but in a way that is close to nature it's like a, it's like a human being it's it's very much eternal i mean a human being might say Something at, at fifteen years and another thing at thirty years, and if you know the human being isn't sick at at eighty years, then then they'll say a whole new thing, and and it's these this kind of um, richness of experience later in life that that is expressed. And so, same with the wine that's that's made in a quote unquote natural way. It's for me very eternal.
2: Il concetto del vino eterno, perpetuo, è un po' questa è un'eredità di Marco. Marco mi ha avvicinato al vino assaggiando, non so, delle riserve 1840. Ancora mi, mi, mi emoziona solo al pensiero, la memoria di questi vini che Marco mi faceva assaggiare.
1: This idea of wine being eternal is really one that, that Marco kind of hadn't. He, it was his influence that I think this way. I mean, trying his. He had me try wines that were from 1840, and to taste something that's that old and it still makes me emotional it's something that i understand that concept very well and it's it's thanks to marco for that
0: you also do make a chair swallowed of vittoria that's raised in clay in amphora and when did you come to the conclusion that amphora were interesting to you how did that come about
1: anche fai un vino di anfora, un ceresolo in anfora e a qual punto nella vita tu hai capito che questo era una cosa interessante e una cosa che dovei provare.
2: Sì, all'inizio dicevo che la nostra esperienza nasce da dilettanti. Non abbiamo fatto la
1: scuola di When we started making wine we were we were dilettants. We didn't go to a winery school which perhaps is a boon for us. But we approached wine when we were young. We, we took a trip when we were 22, the three of us, up to Bordeaux, because that was for us what, what the model was.
2: Quindi da questa Bordeaux subito iniziato a usare So after this trip to
1: Bordeaux, we we started using barrels right away, and what was initially a novelty for us, all of these, you know this. Patrimony of of olfactory sensations was something that later on became for us what was boring. It was something that was overpowering. It felt like a, the wine had makeup or that it had, you know, had had some sort of uh, facelift or, or something. And uh, and that's that's really when we started thinking about working with amphora.
2: È strano because in un momento storico per noi, in pieno successo con questa barrique.
1: È incredibile come. So when we first decided to stop using barrels, it was in many ways there was this. Tu hai detto che era una una stress sulle spalle per usare i barili o per fermare usare i barili. Dico
2: che pure avendo in un periodo storico molto positivo dal punto di vista economico, le barili ci davano. When we started
1: moving away from barrels, it was at a time where to use wine that had been aged in barrel was almost a guarantee of success. It was something that that people looked for in wines and but for us it was just it became repetitive. It, the the wines became homogenized and so when we first started using Amphora in, in, in 2000 even though we were we were becoming tired of barrels it was it was a difficult decision. The first year that we made wine in amphora we it was a disaster. We pretty much threw everything out. <laughs>
0: Because I remember, perhaps it was wines from coast in the late 90s, early 2000s, Nero d'Avola, and some of them had quite a bit of wood, it seemed to me, mm-hmm. like Labyrintho.
1: Lui ha detto che uh, anche lui ricorda un momento uh, ai fini dei anni 90 in cui, per esempio, Nero d'Avola, forse Labyrintho, era abbastanza pieno di, di legno.
2: Sì, lo ricordo anch'io.
1: He said, yes, I remember it too. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: eh, devo dire che ci si stanca della ripetibilità. Mm-hmm. Eh, quindi,
1: questi vini... Li uh, it, it, this repetition and this sameness of the wines just became tiring in many ways. It was like a, a cheeseburger, you know, that tastes exactly the same in every part of the world. And... um, Another thing to add is when they first started, and he said that there was a, the first year that they used Amphora it was a disaster, that they could see, though, underneath all of that, that it was the right path to take. So they continued.
0: So did you reach out to anyone about advice, or did you get clues on your journey with Amphora that helped you understand the process better?
1: Tu hai parlato con qualcuno per consiglio per come si fa il vino in Amphora?
2: Sì, sono stato in Georgia quell'anno ai confini con nel Caucaso.
1: We went to Georgia with a, a friend John, and he said that for every technique that one uses, it really has to be contextualized. And for him going to Georgia and seeing, the, you know, the, the saparavi that were, were fermented in in Quavuri, that he, it was something that, that kind of grounded him in the process. You
2: chose to get Amphora from Spain though. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, we Tita and I also traveled to Tunisia where they have a really long history of terracotta and and we also saw the Georgian Amphora. We visited Spain in the area of La Mancha and uh, decided on these tinajas, and the reason for that was that the Georgian cuivri, because of the porosity of their clay, they have to be lined with wax. And we really wanted something that was nude in many ways, and that breathed, breathed perhaps like a barrel, allowed the wine to breathe. And so we chose this Spanish version in an area where they also have a a long, long history of of making these terracotta amphora. And it's a a blend of three different types of clay, and it gives a a porosity that breathes, yet you don't have to
2: line it.
1: So we also tried some Sicilian amphora, but in the end, the tinajas. I mean, for us, an amphora is, it's not a magic vessel, it's not something that changes a wine of That's banal into something that's interesting and complex. It's a it's a vessel that breathes very much like a barrel, but without added oak influence, and it allows us to have a better precision in order to express our territory.
2: In fondo, a noi quello che ci interessa non è l'idea di un vino perfetto. Il vino perfetto è solo un concetto di moda.
1: For Assetcos, the idea of a perfect wine is not. One that we're aligned with. It's the idea of a perfect wine is something that's really constructed by fashion, and it's it's more or less like a sine wave. It comes and goes. It's pushed this direction and that direction. And really, nature for us is is perfect. And to try to try to convey that with a certain precision is really our goal. We're not interested in constructing a, a wine in the in the winery, much like the rest of modern winemaking. It's more conveying that perfection of nature that's really important. The only thing that a, a farmer has is his or her land. That's the only thing. If we move away from that, then into a world of, of you know industrial winemaking, into a world where things are constructed and, and are moved away from that expression of land, the farmer loses everything he or she has.
0: So when you have white grapes in amphora and you have red grapes in amphora is that different is that a different process how does it act differently with the clay
1: Quando voi fate la fermentazione di bianchi in amphora verso quello di rosso c'è con differences. c'è come come loro sono la qualità di ogni fermentazione bianchi verso rosso ci ci sono differenze che l'argillo esce fuori Mi capisci, no? Sì. Okay.
2: no allora usiamo lo stesso protocollo di lavoro sia per i bianchi e per i rossi di fatto, a noi...
1: the whites and the reds are made in amphora with this, exactly the same protocol, so fermented on their skins we really we really don't change the protocol between whites and reds, but what we do do for amphora fermented wine and wines that are made without additives in general is. Do a very, very rigorous selection process. It's like if you were to cut your hand and decided not to use antibiotics, you would have to clean that cut a lot more often and a lot more rigorously than if you were to use antibiotics. It's just the same goes for winemaking. So really have clean, healthy grapes coming into the winery and going into the fermentation. That's, that's our work.
0: So are the vineyard parcels for the regular Terriswold of Vittoria that's in wood and the cerosuolo di Vittoria pithos that's in clay, are those different parcels or are they the same? Do they come from the same source?
1: Le particelle di, delle uve di cerasolo di Vittoria classico, quello che è affinato in botti, sono le stesse particelle come quello di pithos rosso?
2: Sì, sono le stesse e sia il cerasolo classico, sia pithos è un blend di tutta la proprietà Cos.
1: So yes, the, the Cerasuolo di Victoria Classico, that's aged in boti, and the pisos Rosso, that's also Cerasuolo in amphora, come from exactly the, the same parcels. They're a blend of our estate vineyards. But what's really beautiful about the amphora is that in each amphora, we have about 400 kilos of grapes. So really fairly small quantities. And it's beautiful for a winemaker to be able to see the differences in the soil and in the territory. It's something that, you know, we notice every foot of vineyard is different. You know, you can put your hand in one place and your hand uh, next to it in another and you'll have different soil types and different expressions. And so, although in the end we end up blending what we have in Amphora, it's a really beautiful process. It's like seeing, you know, the each pixel of a picture. Before it's made into, into that entire blend.
0: So it's micro vinification of small lots across what you own, except that it's in amphora.
1: Sì, è una micro vinificazione di tutto, ma è un'amphora.
0: Levi,
2: è proprio così. È un insieme di tante piccole vinificazioni. Il regalo dell'amphora.
1: That's exactly right, Levi. It's for us, it's the process of, of being able to see the diversity, the biodiversity that we think is there to be able to, to actually, to, to be able to touch it in many ways. It's like, you know, like humans, it's, it's hard to describe the diversity among, among brothers, among children, even though we come from the same parent, but it's something that we can actually see and touch when we, when we do it in this way.
0: As wines, as finished wines, how does the Rosso Classico, Chersuola de Vittoria, and the Pithos Rosso, how do those differ? How do they behave differently when you drink them?
2: So, the Cerro di Victoria
1: Classico is aged in large botte, so large Slavonian oak, and it does retain those characters that oak gives wine. It has a tannin that's not necessarily just the tannin of the grapes, although I have to add, just as a translator, most of these are, are neutral oak, but they're still... There's still a, a different quality to the wine, whereas the Pisos Rosso perhaps has more precision in it. It's something that uh, what tannin is there, and sometimes there's even a little bit more tannin. What tannin is there? It's just that of the grapes. But for me, this this discourse of of what the characters are between the two wines is is a little bit less important than than when you drink them. The idea wine is to be made to Raise, raise the conversation a bit. I I want to make a wine that makes people want to think, and for me, that's that's a very important aspect of wine. It, it's not just to be drunk; it it is meant to be drunk and enjoyed. But it's really, I want to bring a a higher kind of consciousness to wine itself.
0: So you also make Nero d'Avola by itself and Frappato by itself, and the Frappato is fairly young vines, mm-hmm. and sometimes a Nero d'Avola. It varies in age depending on the bottling. And what do you find as wines by themselves as opposed to being blended together?
1: Voi anche also un un vino di frappato in purezza e anche un nera in purezza. E il frappato viene dai viti più giovani e qualche volta anche il nera d'avola, ma dipende sì. sulla bottiglia. Secondo te, cosa questi questi uve da soli? So, deciding to make a Frappato and a Nero d'Avola in their purity, vino del perhaps Cera Sola di Victoria is the wine of our region, but for us, I mean, some people have said that maybe we do it because of a little bit of marketing, but it's really, it's a beautiful way to show people what the origins are of this region and of this wine. And so to try, especially trying, for example, a Nero from Kos, because Nero is also made all over the rest of Sicily, you can see that it has a very different profile. It's not a muscular wine where it is that way in, in much of the rest of the island. So it also kind of gives clues to what our territory is about.
0: Sometimes I find Nero D'Avla has almost a perfume on the palate more than the nose, whereas Frappato has a perfume on the nose and a more
1: uh, linear palate. Uh, Lui dice che qualche volta sembra che Nero D'Avla ha un po' po' più perfume nella bocca invece del naso. Per lui il Frappato ha un naso più profumato e e, il Frappato anche ha una linearità sulla bocca.
2: Sì, sí, condivido. Sono d'accordo anch'io.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, no- I noticed that as well. I-, I agree.
0: And then, you know, there are examples like Rosa D'Ocante from, from Reggiali, where Nero Davila from Sicily seems to be able to age quite a long time, 30, 40 years. Is that something you find as well for Nero Davila? And is it true for, for Pato by itself?
2: In Italia, forse, o oh nel mondo, il vitigno più nobile dei bianchi è lo Chardonnay.
1: So Chardonnay is a, a grape that, perhaps as a white grape, is considered one of the most noble in in our world. And on the other hand, Trebbiano is a grape that's probably considered at the, the lower end of the spectrum, the the base grape, sort of a, a workhorse white grape. But for us in Italy, there's um, to give you an example, Trebbiano makes one of our most important wines, and so. Certainly there are territories where things can be made to age longer but it's more important to understand that a wine I overall I believe that a wine that is made uh, naturally without additives is a wine that can be eternal.
2: Eh, insisto su questo punto perché I know
1: I, I keep kind of hitting on this point over and over again but the reason I do that in my region and, and in the world of wine there seems to be this obsession with adding acid to wine and we we know that acidity is one of the things that helps wines age and so I think in the beginning of a wine's life, a wine that has added acidity is, is more or less can be balanced. It, it's fine. But as the wine ages, a dissidence begins to be able to be felt. Whereas the tartaric acid that's been added to the wine is on a different road than the wine itself. And uh, those two things start diverging. And so that's why I say over and over again that a wine that is made without additives, that is just grapes, is eternal.
2: Ho detto l'esempio dell'acidità, ma avrei potuto dire dei tannini e mm-hmm. l'aggiunta di l'aggiunta di lieviti selezionati di tutti
1: quei. Prodotti. I use the acidity as an example, but in, you know it could be a number of things. It could be added tannin. It could be there are so many things that can be lawfully added to wine in in our modern winemaking. I really, at the base of it, don't understand the motives.
2: Levy, è come avere un albero di mele nella propria giardino se queste mele vengono sempre brutte per mangiarle devo metto lo zucchero mi devo inventare mille modi
1: La the, the idea is quite simple if you for example if you had an, an apple tree in in your garden and you didn't every year the apples didn't quite produce what you what you thought was delicious you had to always add sugar to them then maybe you need to choose to plant a different apple tree or or maybe something different in in general it's not It's not an extremely complicated concept. It's just a matter of of finding what works for your region and your territory.
0: So what have been the significant vintages of your career? You began in 1980. It's a partnership of three college friends. You make a bit of wine. Since then, up till now, what have been the vintages that have been difficult, that have surprised you, that have been a blessing, where things have changed? What have been the vintages that have stood out over time?
1: Uh, Because... Cose sono state le annate che hai colpito, per un modo per dire che le annate difficili, le annate uh, belli, le annate che sono che okay. ti ha dato un sorpreso?
2: Ah, gra- grazie di questa domanda. Grazie perché mi capita di fare delle verticali, no? E assaggiare 35 anni della mia storia con so thank
1: you for this question for me and i've I've done a you know we've done some verticals at the winery tasting all the past thirty five years the, of wines that we've made and surprisingly the years that I remember being the most difficult have actually over time yielded some of the most interesting and complex wines and the years that that were easy. And I don't want to say that the wines, you know, are boring, but that they they lack the same complexity. And, you know, for example, last night we drank a 2003 Tempranillo Lopez de Heredia. And you could see that that, that was a year of suffering. You could see that it was a hot year. That I mean, not only did the people in Europe suffer, there were many deaths, but the plants themselves suffered. And that was something that, that you could feel in the wine. And and that's the beauty of wine that you it's it's like a diary it's it's like a diary of your life and the life of your territory and you know you can feel all the different things that that happened during that time it it evokes these memories in you when you when you taste and drink that wine that's that's beautiful for me and and that's really essential to wine itself
0: so how much of what you think of as a good year has to do with ripeness. How much of it is about controlling ripeness or trying to get ripeness? Is the issue in a difficult year that you you have too much ripeness mm-hmm. because of maybe too much heat or is the issue that you don't have enough?
1: Per esempio, in un an anno difficile per te, normalmente per dire difficile è perché le uve non sono abbastanza mature o sono meno mature che
2: Per esempio, il 2014
1: we started the harvest, and we had all of our workers there, and and everything tasted fine in the vineyard. And when the first boxes of grapes came into the winery, we tasted them and I looked at Tita and we, we both said, Stop, stop, because the grapes weren't ready yet. And and so yeah, they were they Sono stati cerbi, o cosa...
2: sí, they, they, they
1: seemed just a little raw a little mostro, yeah and in, in the must a little bit a little bit raw a little bit vegetal which is bizarre they tasted they tasted good in the vineyard so so we said stop we sent everyone home a week later we started the harvest one more time this was in 2014 and 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 we really thought this time it was it was going to be good and 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 we were a little bit embarrassed because we had all this meat, we were doing a barbecue, and everyone who showed up we had to send home again because we said the grapes are not ready. So finally, the third time that uh, we started Harvest, we probably only had half the workers because everyone thought it was a joke. (laughs) But, you know, there there are years like that, definitely. But for me personally, I don't believe in good and bad years anymore. It's really – it's something that – it's the history, it's the it's the memory of a of a of a year and a period of time and you know some are some are better than others but I don't really believe in good and bad years.
0: What has been the progression of the winery? You now own
1: vineyards now
0: whereas you started by borrowing the produce of your friends family's vineyard. You've moved into a different cellar. You've acquired several amphoras. You've also had partners come and partners go in terms mm-hmm. of the ownership of the winery. So Chart for me the progression of till now.
2: Come dicevo, Cosse nasce per gioco tra i banchi di scuola, direi, nel 1980. Tre amici.
1: So we started out in 1980 as three friends from school. Tita and I both graduated from architecture school in 1983. Our third partner, Strano, Cirano Strano, also nicknamed Reno, he uh, was in medical school, so he didn't graduate until 86. Medical school was a bit longer. At that time, I mean, Kos had already been around for six years, and we, Orino, decided his father was a doctor. He had just graduated from medical school. He decided to leave the business, and his sister, Panuccia Strano, took his part of the business over. And she was always hanging out with us anyway. Um, she was a part of the Kos family, and... After that, in 1995, Panuccia decided to marry, and she also decided to uh, leave the business. So, in reality, Coos is actually Co, but uh, we've kept the original name. And uh, so, Tita and I have, dis- at that point in '95, decided to buy Panuccia's shares in the company.
2: Per quanto riguarda invece il progetto economico finanziario, è ancora più bizzarro. Noi. Abbiamo iniziato mettendo a quei tempi 150.000 lire sarebbe come
1: To hear the the economical history of Costa is even a little bit more bizarre. We started out as three friends with about 1500 lira per head, so that would be the equivalent of about $200 at the time. So very very little investment, but you know, and we started out with about a little over three and a half hectares of leased vineyard. And we just grew the business slowly, slowly but surely, like uh, the old agricultural model. And now we own 36 hectares. We make about 200,000 bottles of wine each year. And and we export to 52 countries. And... Um, for us, though, part of the thing that was very important as we were growing the business was the investment in the vineyard first. So most of our money that we made went back into the vineyard. Yes, we, we were able to build a 400 million euro winery in a state over time, but that, that took us 27 years. And the, the winery that, you know, they both have architecture backgrounds, Giusto and Tita, the winery that they envisioned took them 27 years to realize.
0: And what's next for you? What do you intend to happen in the future at Cos?
1: E cosa è prossimo passo di Cos? <laughs> Ma el,
2: um, io l'unica cosa che mi auguro nel futuro di Cos è quello di mantenere questa idea del vino. Non uh, chi è vive l'agricoltura sa che è una ripetizione, no?
1: Mm. Um for me the important thing for coast in the future is to really maintain this idea of wine that we've been shepherds of for for so long and and you know the the world of agriculture and the world of a farmer's life is really that of repetition we were just joking about the fact that nature itself gives you gives you enough novelty in life that really just trying to navigate more or less along the same path, the same philosophy that we've had for for such a long time is my goal, and and also to always, you know, this this feeling of adrenaline that I have every every year when the harvest arrives, I hope to maintain for the rest of my life. If not, it's better if I go play golf in California if I <laughs> just retire.
2: Modo dire, sì, comunque. Ma è un po' fare vino. Fare vino è a volte anche sembra ripetitivo, no? Però è, è come osservare le persone che cambiano.
1: È un po' strano. Da un canto c'è questo aspetto statico
2: e dall'altro invece queste buffon. The life of
1: a Vigneron is really. It's kind of a bizarre mix. It's very, very static in many ways. You have the same repetitive sort of task year in and year out, but in the end, each year is so diverse that the wines themselves they teach you over time and, and they they teach you to be attentive. That's probably the number one rule of winemaking. And it's, it's this beautiful beautiful balance between something that's very dynamic and something that's 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 repetitive over time as well.
0: For Giusto Acapinti, wine is an idea. Thank you very much for being here today.
2: Grazie a voi di questa bella conversazione che mi ha dato modo non solo di parlare di vino, ma un po' quella che è la visione del vino, che è l'aspetto che più mi interessa. Grazie,
1: Levi. Thank you, Levi, for having us and for this conversation, and really for me to be able to express the idea of wine. That's the most important thing for me to talk about, and the, the most exciting thing for me to talk about. Thank you.
0: Giusto Accapinti, of course. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levi Dalton. which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.
1: For me, a mind is like a parachute. If you don't open it, it's just it's really not worth much of anything at all. Ha <laughs>